Today on the Zabecast, Tiger Woods turns back the clock again at a major. Only once again, he runs right into a guy who isn't scared of him. What to make of the Big Cat's latest near miss? Dude, I stole a plane. And hey man, you aren't Troy Palomalu. You got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Monday, August 13, 2018. Thank you for joining me. Man, is it hard to imagine the talk radio bounty that we have been given over the weekend. Somebody stole a turboprop passenger plane and then used it to kill himself. Somebody else dressed up like an NFL legend and then tried to practice with the Steelers. And then somebody impersonated vintage Tiger Woods, circa 2000, right down to the red shirt and the black pants and almost won the PGA. Pretty amazing. Oh, wait, what's that? Oh, it that was the same... Ty, the real guy, not the lookalike who was walking out of the sex clinic after the skin. No. Wow, that's pretty amazing because I thought that Tiger Woods was dead and buried. I thought that Tiger Woods was done. It's amazing to think that Tiger Woods eight months ago was ranked 1,199 in the world. He had barely finished more than a half dozen events in the last two years of his life. He was found hepped up on goofballs, crashed on the side of the road down in the middle of Nowheresville, Florida. Lucky to be alive, frankly, as of Memorial Day 2017. And then yesterday happened. Vintage Tiger happened. But it is Vintage Tiger with an Achilles heel, and that is the driver. It is vintage Tiger with opponents now who do not flinch, who do not blink, who do not care. In this case, it is the the absolutely dead-eyed, ultra-handsome, super-buff, new PGA Tour superstar, Brooks Kepka. Funny because my buddy Cowboy Mike absolutely hates Kepka. It's not that he just doesn't like Kepka. It's not that he could take him or leave him. I mean, he hates him. See, Mike has this thing for guys who are too good at golf, and he really despises uh, them. You know, I called him midway through the round yesterday, and we were talking about, well, what's the number? What, what, what does Tiger have to get to? Is it 14? Could that be good enough for a playoff? And Mike was like, eh, he's 15 at least. Kepka's not going to choke. He doesn't choke because he doesn't care. Because he doesn't have a brain. <laughs> what he said. I mistakenly thought Kepka after last year's U.S. Open win at, at uh, Aaron Hills. I was like, this guy's won his one major. He's done. He's happy. He's a former baseball player at Florida State. He's just playing golf because he didn't make it in baseball. He's not going to. This guy's not going to be, well, shut my mouth. Absolutely dead wrong. Now, it does look like uh, like Brooks Kepka is the guy that, <laughs> I said this on Twitter, I said he looks like the kind of guy who walk around the putting green and go, you guys, you nerds suck. 
This game is easy. And then goes over to Zach Johnson's bag and just lifts it up and dumps it out right there and walks away. He looks like a prototypical bully. Just a meat-headed, brainless bully who's like, you guys are losers, man. This game's easy. Watch this. Just hit it this far. How come he can't hit it this far? He looks like the kind of guy who would have other players in a headlock, that he would get skinny little Charles Howell III and then get him at a headlock and drag him around the driving range as Charles Howell's like, ah, ah, ow, ow, stop it. Stop it. Come on, Brooks. Hey, hey, look at this guy. Hey, I'm a two iron. (laughs) That's what he looks like. But he's apparently a great dude. And, you know, we're getting to know more of him. And we're going to see more of him. I mean, Brooks Kepka sat the first four months of the year out with a wrist injury. And so, you know, to come back and have the season he had after that is, is amazing. The guy is a flat stud. Does he lack personality? Of course. But I'll tell you this. I'm going to start liking Brooks Kepka more and more. And you know why? It's pretty simple. I have this thing for athletic brilliance. I like athletic brilliance. This guy is proving to be not a flash in the pan. This guy is a freaking cyborg. This guy kind of makes, you know, the old Terminator look like, well, it looks, he's like the new Terminator that's better than the old Terminator. You're like, oh shit, I thought the old Terminator, which was Schwarzenegger, was the best. This new Terminator the next-gen guy, he can, like, melt into liquid and then assume a human form. How does he do that? Brooks Kepka stood there, if you watch that tournament, and it didn't look like he was sweating. It's hotter than balls out there, and he's barely sweating. He doesn't look like he's even breathing hard. He stands up there to dress, perfect setup, perfect swing, and mashes 330-yard gentle cut fades. And he is not worried one bit where they're going. And he's got touch. He can chip. He can putt. He doesn't gack short ones. He doesn't have to carry two putters in his bag like Adam Scott did. Now, that was one of the other great stories of yesterday. Adam Scott suits up two putters on the 48-man active game day roster. Who on earth does that? He, he had a short one for the very long putts, and then he had that long, whatever that Neptune's trident was for the short ones. And he was great with it yesterday and got a little loose at the end, didn't play the last three holes very well. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge uh, Adam Scott fan. I really am. Uh, I'm, I'm this close to being gay for the guy. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. But his putting is is unbelievably bad, and and it's stitched together, and it's duct taped, and it's got chicken wire, and he has to carry two putters in his bag. Of course, when you hit it as good as he does, you probably think, all right, I'll just take a five iron out of the bag. I'll carry a, a, a four and a six, and if, I, if I'm sitting on a five iron, which I might only hit once around anyway, eh, I'll just hit a light four. I'll figure it out. But I need these two putters. So... It's interesting because the game keeps evolving and as good as this Tiger Woods resurgence is and as many eyeballs as he will no doubt have brought to the table yesterday or brought to the TV yesterday, which is great, by the way. It's all great for the game of golf. 
you know, some people who play golf that know golf cringe when they tune in on a Monday after a Tiger revival like this and they hear a bunch of otherwise golf-ignorant sports radio hosts suddenly spout off like they're experts, like they know what the fuck they're talking about. I don't mind. I don't care. I'm like, it's a big tent. If you're talking about Tiger, that's great. And golf, that's great. It, it, it's not bad for the game. Even if you are misinformed. Even if you can't name two other players on tour besides Kepka and Phil Mickelson. I don't care. Big tent. Good for the game of golf. And good for Tiger. Holy shit. I mean, this is amazing. Let me start with the back and the back surgery. His doctor needs to be doing interviews. His doctor needs to be high-fiving people. His doctor needs to uh, be in on the cut. He must. He better get 4% of all of Tiger's winnings. This is the ultimate, uh, these hands have been touched by God. Whatever he did with that back fusion, wow. Now look, Tiger put in the rehab work. Tiger put in all the other effort to get back to where he is. Tiger has admitted he's had to figure out how to swing with two fused discs in his back. But that doctor, it's amazing. And then there's 10% that has to make you say, well, if it looks too good to be true and real, it probably, in today's athletic day and age, is. I'm absolutely keeping 10% of my shelf space of disbelief open for the possibility that someday down the road it's Bing, P-E-Ds, something that helped Tiger Woods recover from what, his fourth back surgery and all these other stuff? I mean, there's already been a connection with Tiger and this Dr. Galea over the years. I've talked about it. Some others have talked about it. Not a ton have talked about it. It's circumstantial evidence. He has never failed a drug test on the PGA Tour. It's not certain if he did fail a drug test whether or not Tim Fincham or this new commissioner, Jay Monahan wouldn't jump on that grenade themselves to make sure it didn't come out. And there's some debate as to, well, who the fuck cares? Like, his body is broken. He may have taken things that are technically banned, but it was just to get him able to play golf again. He's not hitting it 500 yards now. He's still, you know, he's hitting it long, but it's his talent that's doing it. I won't get into that argument now because it's all speculative. And like I said, I'm just keeping 10% off to the side to think, well, what could this be? Tiger's focus and his maniacal obsession with being the best, which is what propelled him to the, you know, heights that he had in the first place, is unmatched. That part is still the best it has ever been in the game of golf since Nicholas. And it's amazing to watch. But yeah, Brooks Kepka, he is a new rising star that just hits the living shit out of the ball. And his, and his swing is not some wild ass, dig in with your heels, spray it all over. It is just an effortless munch. The drive on 18, Nick Faldo said, it's, it's, it's gone. It, 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 the ball is gone. You see the shot trace and you go, ooh, that looks like it's a little tight to the trees. That looks like it's a, you know... Uh, is that going to carry the bunker on the inside of the duck? Yeah. Yeah, it carried the bunker. It shit on the bunker. It dropped its toilet waste like a 757 over the bunker. He had a wedge into 18. 
I don't know what the yardage on 18 is. I'm sure once upon a time, Bell Reeve was designed with a heroic, difficult 18th hole. And Brooks Kepka and Tiger Woods and a bunch of other players just, they go up to it now and they go, yeah, there you go. If you want this par four to be hard, make it 500 yards and then get back to me. The announcers yesterday were frankly terrible. I, somewhere Frank Tricanian is spinning in his grave. The longtime late great producer slash director of CBS Golf Telecasts. They called him the Ayatollah because he was of Iranian descent and he, he, he took no shit from any of his announcers. He said, here's what I want. Here's what we need to do. He would bark at them in their ears. Gary McCord just is the worst. There's no other way to put it. I feel like Stewie when he was uh, with <laughs> Matthew McConaughey. I, I may not ever get another chance to say this, so I just want to get this off my chest. You are just awful. You're one of the worst actors in the history of film, <laughs> and I think that you need to go away. Oh, thanks. See, that's exactly how I feel about McCord. You, you are just the worst, McCord. You think... You think you are so funny, you're not. You think you're so creative, you're not. And the truth is, I spend at least 90%. Uh, truth is, you know, I got this mustache, you know. I'm uh, Gary McCord. Look at, ooh, ooh, look at my mustache. End of my year, going away, exploring exotic places, having sex with my beautiful girlfriend, just doing sit-ups. I mean, that really, and then counting money. Money that I made off the terrible films that I put out into the American populace because they just love to see me. Doing what it is that I do. Yes, but you're not hearing me. Dazed and confused was the one thing that was passable. After that... Oh, thanks, man. I- yeah, Tin Cup, uh, McCord, that was the one last good thing you did. I actually launched my career. After that, everything else was awful. Contact, they, they, they didn't even... <laughs> anyway, the thing about McCord is this. He treats everything like it's the Greater Hartford Open or that it's, you know, the FedEx St. Jude. Dude, it's a major. How about you make it about the golf, not about you? Just an idea. Here's McCord on every putt. Oh, I tell you what, these guys here, oh, they're playing for a lot of money, but they, they don't seem nervous. Oh, Brooks Kepka, that, that, oh, yeah, he's got a little putt right here. Ooh, boy, is that a good shot right there. Dottie, I tell you what, you know, oh, okay. All right, Jim, back to you. I mean, it just, when, when three words would do, he'll use 30. And when a modicum of restraint would be called for, no, forget it. That's not McCord's deal. Uh, Peter Costas, as well, later in the broadcast, this was funny, kept harping on the fact that, man, all the media is up ahead with Tiger, and there's very few cameramen and media back here with the leader, Brooks Kepka. And it was sort of this soft lecturing, like, when Tiger, when Tiger peaked, which was on 15, which was fucking amazing, make no mistake about it, when he peaked with that bomb drive right down the middle, and then that towering nine iron just a two feet. That was peak Tiger. But then Tiger fizzled after that. And after Tiger fizzled, it's like the CBS announcers did this soft lecture to us about, you know, Brooks Kepka is really good. I, I, you know, he's, someday he's going to get the credit he deserves. You're the ones that are part of the problem, CBS. Like, we know as golf fans how good he is. You don't need to suddenly rediscover the leader and then go, oh, you people should really appreciate this guy more. I mean, it was just embarrassing. And then, after Tiger made his birdie on 18 and after he pimped it with a monster fist pump, and I'm sort of on the fence about this because Tiger once upon a time believed in the Ricky Bobby school of golf, which was um, 
if you ain't first, you're last, that basically all Tiger Woods had secured was first loser. But he didn't know what was going to happen on 18, and so he, he wanted to make a birdie. He wanted to finish strong. He wanted to bounce back and grind it out, and so I get it. And Tiger does pimp all of his birdies and shots. He does it better than everyone else on tour. I don't know why every other tour player, including guys who are should be cool, like Kepka, why are they so nerdy and docile after making good shots? Like, ah, you know, they do that, the, tu- the, ha- the cap tug, the crowd wave, and then the sort of the half, okay, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not getting too excited because this is golf, and it could humble me at any moment. So just let me give you a little, little, the little waist-high hand flash, I guess it would be. Tiger is the best at pimping stuff. He is the best at the quick snatch, at the fist pump, at the death stare. His, uh, the way he walks around a golf course is unlike any other player. And I guess you have to have Tiger's record to do that. But So Tiger fist pumps his birdie on 18. And they're wrapped up in the moment, CBS was, and, and Tiger is getting ovations just walking over the hero bridge to the media center or to the where the scorecard signing place is. I understand getting wrapped up in the moment, but then CBS was caught entirely flat-footed because back at 17, you had a situation where Kepka suddenly missed his short birdie putt and Adam Scott had a birdie putt to close the lead to one. In other words, there was a real tournament still going on. And if you listen to the broadcast, you could hear those guys scrambling to go, oh, well, you know, well, hold on a second here. This thing isn't done yet. Embarrassing. Frank Turkanian rolling in his grave. He would have ripped them assholes left and right. One more thing on the broadcast. Did you like how Kepka sort of uh, eschewed protocol and tapped in a one-inch putt to finish his round and win the tournament before Adam Scott got to mop his up? A- and Jim Nance was like, whoa, no, no, no. Because, why? Jim Nance likes his cutesy sayings. And I'm sure he worked in his hotel room all day on something for Brooks Kepka, something for Adam Scott, something for Tiger Woods. And the moment for good old Jimmy Nance was ruined. We'll finish it up. Yeah. No, no, no. Hold on. No, 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 no. <laughs> Couple things on the golf technology. Love the use of Pro Tracer, more Pro Tracer, all Pro Tracer, all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, CBS. I could do without the cup microphone which I think is needless and the putt tracks thing is terrible it makes no sense whatsoever here's the line if you go right at the hole and hit it at Mach 4 and here's the line that's the preferred line to let the break take the ball no it doesn't work that way no matter how good the tech is no matter how good the science is it still is a art of how hard are you going to hit a putt and in what direction to let gravity and the grain and the slope of the green take it. Get rid of that shit that shouldn't be used. That said, you know, I like the use of technology by CBS. They used more of it this time than they had in a long time. And the one thing that I would just urge them to do is tell me how far every drive is. Like when there's a player standing in the fairway, I want to know. How far was the drive? What did he carry it? What was the rollout? Give me the number to the green. Give me all the numbers right there in the upper corner of the screen. Say, drive, 310, carry 292, to front of green, 116, to pin, 131. Give me all the numbers. And then when they're on the green, when they're standing over what looks like a 15-footer, give me the shot link actual number down to the inch. 
PGA Tour uses something called ShotLink they have for at least 10 years, maybe more, in which they've got surveyors on little you know pedestals behind every green that shoots everyone's distance from the cup. And they did this to start measuring and to start accurately accumulating data on just how good certain players are from certain distances on the green. And it's it's been very smart that they've done this. So they'll shoot everyone's putt and they'll go, this guy's got 16 feet 4 inches or 5 feet 3 inches. They've got it right down to the inch. It's super accurate. So I want that number every time. I want to know exactly how far is Tiger, how far is Kepka? Is he... Is he 13 or is he 19? Because it's hard to estimate. Camera angles are very deceiving. And then once you give me the exact number, I want to know the make percentage. Because the tour keeps data and they crunch the data on tour pros on average, their make percentage from 10 feet. Between 10 and 12 feet is whatever percent. And then you can flash up Kepka's make percentage from between 10 and 12 percent. And then you could flash up Kepka's make make miss you know numbers uh, for the week at the tournament that he's playing in. Data, data, data. I need that. I don't need lines that you pretend to say, well, here's the break, and I don't need a microphone in the cup. It's that simple. Ryder Cup, yes, Tiger Woods is going to be on the Ryder Cup team. What are you, fucking crazy? Of course he is. Almost made it on points. He surged up to 11 with his finish yesterday. Had he won, he would have been inside the top eight. The top eight are Kepka. Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Patrick Reed, Bubba Watson, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, and Webb Simpson. How did that guy make the team? 9, 10, 11, 12, because there's four captain's picks now, which will not be made until later, until after the playoffs are over. Bryson DeChambeau, Protractor Boy, Mickletitz, Tiger, and Xander Shoffley. And then you got Kuchar, Kisney, Kisney, Kuchar, Kuchar, Kisner, Finau, Stanley. Uh, there'll be Kyle Stanley, Brian Harmon, Kevin Na, Gary Woodland, Zach Johnson. Good, he's not going to make it this time. Aaron Wise, Ches Reeby, Patrick Cantlay, Jimmy Walker. Okay, good. He's boring. He won't make it. And Kevin Chappell. So really, it's down to this. First of all, Phil Mickelson and Woods are in, in, in. Don't even think for a second they're not. So we're really talking about two captain's picks. I've heard the guys on tour like DeChambeau and are going to lobby to have him in. Boo. Shoffley, I doubt, will get picked. Coocher, everyone love Cooch. They love the Cooch in the team room playing ping pong. I'd be shocked if Coocher wasn't a pick. And I think Kisner's got a strong chance as well. My guess would be it's Mickelson Woods for sure, and then Coocher Kisner is your other two. Uh, Finau should be in, in my opinion, and Coocher should be out. I'd like Kisner and Finau and tell Coocher to pound sand. Everyone else has no chance. All right, before we get to Tom Lavero to talk about the University of Maryland scandal with their football program and the tragic death of a player due to heat stroke just less than uh, a month and a half ago, this story in Seattle is unbelievable. A maintenance worker stole a plane and Joy rode around and then crashed it into an island basically to commit suicide. His name was Richard Russell, old Dick Russell. And I'm sure many people today are going to talk about it in hushed tones about mental health issues, and it's so sad and everything. And yeah, I guess you can have that take, but have you heard the recordings of him up in the airplane with the tower and with air traffic controllers? 
And have you considered the fact that, okay, it's very sad that he did this, but hey, fuck this guy. He put a lot of lives in danger. He has exposed this company to a lot of legal liability. He wrecked, I'm sure, in a very expensive airplane. I mean, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, he clearly had a screw loose. In fact, he even admitted as such. On the other hand, when are we allowed to go back to saying, hey, you know what? Fuck this guy. If this guy didn't sound so easygoing and nice, if he was up there in that airplane that he's still going, my fucking ex-wife is the worst. I'm going to fly this plane into her goddamn house and kill her and all of her friends. No one would be saying, oh, man, that's so sad. Mental health issues. We need to... No, because this guy sounded like a really nice guy, you're like, oh, man, what the... He was just having a bad day, and he stole an airplane and decided, nah, I'm not going to be able to ever... I'm going to go to jail for life. In fact, that's one of the things he said. I'm more of the fuck this guy. But it was funny. And today... On my radio show in D.C., I'm going to play this down big time because, you know what? This is the kind of shit that you can't do on regular radio, terrestrial radio anymore because the mobs come after you. And they they don't just come after you, really. They come after your employer, and they organize on Twitter. Did you hear what Steve Zabin said today making fun of the guy that committed suicide? Well, not necessarily making fun of him per se, but I was laughing and goofing on some of the exchanges he had with the air traffic controllers. I mean, come on. Just flying the plane around, do you seem comfortable with that? Oh, hell yeah, it's a blast, man. I've played video games before, so I, uh, you know, I know what I'm doing a little bit. <laughs> okay, and uh, and you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? Nah, everything's peachy, peachy clean. Just did a little circle around Rainier. It's beautiful. Um... I think I got some gas to go check out uh, the Olympics. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, over. Everything's peachy. Yeah, I'm pretty good, actually, on this thing. I've played some video games. Rich, you said you're at uh, 2,100 pounds of fuel left? Yeah, uh, I don't know what the burn burn itch, burnout is like. Burnage? On, uh, burnout? Uh... A takeoff, but uh, yeah, it burned quite a bit faster than I expected. <laughs> it's burned quite a bit faster. There is the uh, the runway just off your right side in about a mile. Do you see that? That's the uh, that's the uh, that's McCord uh, Field. Oh man, those guys would rough me up if I uh, tried landing there. I think I I think I might mess something up there too. I wouldn't want to do that. Oh, uh, hopefully. Oh, they probably got anti-aircraft. No, they don't have any of that stuff. Uh, we're, we're just trying to find a place for you to land safely. <laughs> yeah, not quite ready to bring it down just yet, but... Yeah, not just quite ready to bring it down just yet. Yeah, not quite ready to bring it down just yet, but holy smokes, I gotta... I gotta stop looking at the fuel, because it's going down quick. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> this guy, this guy, had he not flown like a lawn dart into that island and killed himself, he he'd be no. I if I was on a jury, I'd acquit him. I'd be like, all right, this guy had one bad day. We're gonna give him probation, probation and psychological counseling. This guy's fun. This guy was funny as shit. This is 
probably uh, like jail time for life, huh? I mean, I would hope it is for a guy like me. Well, Rich, we're not, we're not going to worry or think about that, but could you start a left-hand turn, please? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk. Uh, yeah, this is uh, traffic control. We're, we're, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, there could be some raping in prison, but listen, we're, you know, there's ways around that. You're going to make friends in prison. They're going to keep you from getting raped. Okay, so uh, I need you to make a left turn right now. Just head on over to that runway. Again, this is how we in society judge guys. We judge them on, oh, he sounds so nice. Can't wait till they see, you know, dig through his social media, see if he had any racist, crazy, insane shit on there. See if he's had any incidents where he's beat up his girlfriend. I don't know. Initial reports are, no, he was a nice guy. He was a quiet guy. And, and you can say, I can't believe you're being insensitive. Well, how do we know he did a good job as a airplane maintenance tech? How many lives did he endanger going, eh, I'm not going to fucking, I'm not going to fix that fetcher valve today. That fetcher valve's fine. I'm going home to drink. Hope this plane doesn't crash. No, you can do that with these things. Uh, so, what would if you were to do it? How would you do it? Well, I'd try to figure out how to use the autopilot first. Hey, you think if I land this successfully, uh, Lasko will give me a job as a pilot? <laughs> uh, you know, I think they would give you a job doing anything if you could pull this off. Yeah, right. Yeah, nah, right. I'm a white guy. Eh? Oh, 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 yeah, right. Now I'm a white guy, man. They're not going to give a white guy a job. They brought in multiple pilots to try to help him fly the plane, talk him down. They really needed a suicide counselor who was really, really, really good that knew that they had a limited amount of time to talk some sense into him. But it was a complicated deal because unlike a, a, a suicide counselor who was you know, just talking to somebody lonely at home wanting to blow their brains out or jump off a bridge, this guy's flying a Commuter jet. I got a lot of people that care about me, and uh, it's going to disappoint them to, to hear that I did this. Um, I would like to apologize to each and every one of them. Um, just a broken guy. Got a few screws loose, I guess. Never really knew it until now. Um, just, you know... You can't write shit this good. All right. Um, hey, pilot guy, can this thing do a, uh, a backflip, you think? Yeah. I'm going to land it. Um, like uh, in a safe, safe kind of manner. I think I'm, uh, I'm going to try to do a barrel roll. And if that goes good, I'll just go nose down and call it a night. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. I'm just going to try barrel roll, and uh, then that goes well. Nose down, call tonight. At first I thought, oh, shit. Nose down, call tonight. Kill myself. He might have meant nose down gently and land the plane safely. Maybe he really wasn't suicidal. Like, you know, if you go back and listen, he's like, a lot of people would be disappointed I did this. Screw loose, you know, broken guy. That doesn't necessarily mean he wanted to crash, although it does appear that that's the case. Still, I'm torn. On the one hand, seems like a nice guy who just had a weird day, a weird day and got a hold of a plane. On the other hand, fuck him. Seriously. Putting a lot of lives in danger, stealing very expensive property. No, no, I'm, you know, I'm not that sorry for you. Seriously, what the fuck? So I don't know where to stand on this. You met her at a funeral? Yeah. 
Dude died in a hang gliding accident. What an idiot. Dude stole a plane. <laughs> killed himself. Oh, I'm hang gliding. Honey, take a good picture. I'm dead. <laughs> what a freak. <laughs> Rest in peace, Richard Russell. You did fly the shit out of that plane, my friend. So you got that going for you, if nothing else. Time to talk to our friend Tom Lavero about a far more serious subject. The University of Maryland's football program is under siege. A player has died at practice, and now the coach has been suspended. Hello. Lovey, you son of a bitch. How you doing, man? How you doing, boss? Good, man. That's how they talk in the big league, says Costanza. You sons of bitches. <laughs> when you bastards sons coming down bitches. to Houston. Hey, sons of bitches and bastards. That's the way they talk in the big leagues. How's life treating you? Good? Life is good. I'm on vacation down in Wildwood, New Jersey for a week. Oh, fantastic. I love it. Good stuff, but yeah. you but you still keep up on everything because I've been reading your stuff and you always put oh, yeah. out good stuff. WashingtonTimes.com, everybody, for Mr. Lavero. So let's dig right in. This Maryland situation is a cat five shitstorm. Agreed? Oh, oh, absolutely. And uh, and you know what's interesting is uh, remember last month. Larry Fedora, the coach at North Carolina, came out and said football was was under attack in this country. Now, he was talking about concussions. Right. But you want to talk about an attack? This is a self-inflicted wound on the game of football. I mean, for for what if if anything that DJ Durkin is alleged to have done is true. I mean, this is as healthy as football may be financially. It's got a big perception problem from from high school all the way to the NFL. And the last thing the game needs is a report about a coach who stuck in 1940 in terms of abuses and treatments of players. I mean, this is I mean, the the, the, the Jordan McNair death is, is a tragic thing that you, you, I, I don't want to trivialize in any way, shape or form. But the but a big thing here is the game of football just can't afford these kind of blows. It yeah. just can't. His the, the young man's death is the is the centerpiece of life itself and the reality of football, but I agree with you in that the story is actually off to the side. The story is what is wrong with the football culture that they don't understand this is 2018. And they, there are non-meathead ways to go about preparing to play this game. That, to me, is yeah. the story. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, Will Munchamp, the South Carolina coach who used to work with Durkin, his first reaction was anonymous sources have no credibility. You know, the coaches want to do the, you know, circle the wagons thing. Yeah, it's amazing and- that he would say that. Somebody died that changes everything don't say all oh, these anonymous sources 
Some young man died because of heat stroke, which in this day and age, in 2018, no football player at a university, at a Division I university, should die of heat stroke. There are supposed to be procedures in place. There is supposed to be acute medical attention to this stuff. And apparently the paramedics were not even called for an hour in this case. If you have a kid die because of a heart abnormality that had been undetected and he was working out, that's one thing. This is entirely different. This kind of error should never, ever happen, in my opinion. No, it, it, it shouldn't. And uh, again, uh, you know, it happens. It happens to a program that really, I mean, Maryland football has has never recovered from you know getting rid of Ralph Friedgen. Uh, You know, they're on their second coach since firing Ralph. Uh, and and now they're in the big boy conference. They're in the Big Ten conference now. They have no prayer now of of being relevant in a football conference like the Big Ten, maybe within our lifetime, for God's sake. It's really bad. I think to go back and to, to walk through in time the missteps along the way, and for listeners here of the Zabecast that uh, don't really care about Maryland football, just listen to this because it could apply to any number of programs that have aspirations. We go back to when Freegen was doing the best work at Maryland football the program has seen in, what, 30, 40 years since Bobby Ross? Since Bobby Ross and before him, Jerry Claiborne. Okay, so you had a once-proud program that produced the likes of Frank Reich and Boomer Esiason and others, and still produces pros, by the way, individual pros like Stefan Diggs, and Sean Merriman, Sean Merriman and Vernon Davis and others. Okay, so you have this proud program that just sort of wanders for a while, and here comes Ralph Regan, a longtime career assistant who revives the program. He gets them playing the best football and a scandal-free program on top of that. Ralph Regan has one problem. He doesn't look good, Lovey. Right. He is right. severely overweight. He has a skin thing going on. He's bald, which I know is a great stigma in this society of ours. And so he doesn't look good. So Debbie Yao, then the athletic director, after Friedgen went, what was his record his final year at Maryland? Something really good. He he won won eight or nine games and won won the bowl game, won the – the local bowl game in D.C., the military bowl. Right, and he had taken them to an, an improbable Orange Bowl berth just yes. a couple of years prior. Okay, yeah, he was 9-4 and four his final season. He, he did have a 2-10 a t- a and ten year the year before that, but that was due to a slew of injuries. But otherwise was 75-50, and 50, which at Maryland, overall record, about as good as you can get. Went 10-2, yeah. and 11-3, and 10-3. After the initial spurt of this, you know, Debbie Yao thought, well, we're going to be a football power, and she directs the university to invest in the football stadium. A football stadium that is not iconic and that was already not being filled up. She decides to spend $200 million on luxury suites, extra seating, a massive press box, and that starts a chain of events that turns into, okay, Freegen's winning, but we're not as sexy as we want to be. Let's go get somebody else. Then it's, oh my God, we're running out of money. We need to jump ship to the Big Ten and their cable dollars, so let's do that. Now they've got a situation where, you know, Captain Hardass from UConn, (laughs) funny to think that this Durkin era may make people think of uh, the previous coach whose name is escaping me at the moment, uh, as the glory days. Yes. 
as the glory yeah. days. So so you have this series of missteps, and now we're here where Durkin comes in. He's like, I'm going to change the culture of things. And apparently he had assistant coaches and strength coaches running amok like it was the 50s, and this was the Junction Boys all over again. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, again, there's so many layers to this, save. The guy who ultimately should be held accountable for this is the former athletic director, Kevin Anderson, who just got hired at University of Cal, right. uh, California, Northridge. If you're if you're the parent of a foot of, of not a football player, but any athlete that's that goes to that school, how can you trust that program under Kevin Anderson? Yeah, he should he should be extradited from California and brought back to, to uh, account to, for what was yes. going on, who was hired and what was the culture like. Yes, and I mean, this is this is trivial in comparison. But let's not forget, University of Maryland basketball is under investigation. They've been subpoenaed in that federal investigation that's been going on for like a year and a half. Yeah, uh, you know, so so the basketball program is also you know facing uh, issues as well. And again, this Big Ten money, you know, not to sound crass, Sabe, but they're going to wind up spending a lot of that Big Ten money having to pay the family of Jordan McNair for the, for what's probably uh, a negligent practice of take, taking care of right, his son. Right. Not only that, but they're going to spend a lot of money on litigation. Maybe they'll take it out of a different pocket in the big pants of the university. You know, they'll say, well, that wasn't from the athletic department budget. It, you know, money is money. As you taught me in that great line from Danny DeVito in what movie was it that this came from? Heist. Heist. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. Thank you for turning me on to that. It's just my favorite. Um, you know, this is that the money is going to end up not mattering. I talk to Maryland people, and we, we both know many of alums. And almost to a man, they all say, if I could go back in time, I would stop this move to the Big Ten. They would also go back and not spend any more money on the football program, which is never going to be much there's not going to be Alabama of the Mid-Atlantic, so there, there, there's a, it's, it's foolish to chase that. They would not spend that money, and they would never have left the ACC. If you could do it all over again, would you keep Maryland in the ACC? Oh, oh, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, basketball is, is second. Basketball was the main thing at the school, and and they were in a basketball conference. Right. Now they're in the Big Ten where basketball sometimes is an afterthought. I know they've won national championships in the Big Ten. But I've been to Maryland games, uh, at home games, during their Big Ten era. They're they're soulless. There's no spirit. Right. The Big Ten is good in basketball, but they're brute force good. And they are good in a whole different region of the country, the upper Midwest, that we'll never be a part of. So no matter how good Wisconsin may be when they roll into town or Michigan State or Indiana, that's not who the university is. And so you traded Duke and Carolina twice a year, forever, for that bag of beans, and I just don't think it's an even trade. No, it's not. I never thought it was. And a lot of Maryland alum initially defended the move you know, uh, because, well, because I don't, I think they didn't want to be honest with themselves right. and accept the idea that they were going to lose something that they'd never get back. And now I, I think I just read a report where Maryland is on the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to big 10 revenue, uh, the football program competing in, in, in this 
great football conference is is going to be is going to be buried in a, in six feet under for years to get out of this thing. Yeah. And no one cares about the basketball anymore. A coach who's a very nice guy, but no emotion, no spirit. There's, I mean, Maryland basketball games used to be the greatest live event in town. Oh yeah. Now, now it's 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 just another basketball game. Yeah, they they've got their hands full at Maryland, and there's going to be a lot of people that are called to account on multiple fronts. Let's turn the page to the NFL as it starts up again. And you wrote an interesting piece on the Washington Times website, WashingtonTimes.com. Get the print edition if it's still floating around out there. But it, it was basically on, okay, so now we're going to be gambling as a nation and on football. How are we going to square the circle between, hey, I got money on this game, and why is Malcolm Butler suddenly not playing in the Super Bowl? And I got money on this game, how come Josh Doxson was supposedly okay with a shoulder injury? Now you're telling me, yeah, he kind of hurt his heel. Does the the NFL have an information crisis on its hands hands now, given that gambling is going to be basically blessed around the country? Well, here's here's their problem. They're going to want a piece of that gambling. They're going to want a percentage of that money, like all the other leagues do. Right. And and everyone anticipates a future with stadiums where you can bet in the stadium sitting right at your seat. They're going to have devices. Everyone expects them to have devices, NFL-sanctioned devices, in order to bet uh, during games. So if they're going to be partners with the sports betting industry, which they are after fighting it for for decades, then how can can they be partners and and hide key information and let coaches just run, you know, rough over details that that raise the credibility of the and the integrity of the game. I mean, if 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 legalized gambling had been around for ten years and you did what Bill Belichick did at, at the Super Bowl last year, there would there would have been calls of a fix. Yeah, no, it would have been mayhem. And you're right that you know prior to leagues getting in bed with gambling, they always put on games under the premise of this is for fun. This is for your enjoyment and to distract you from whatever troubles you have in life. Now, if they're in business with it, it's become, this is a product. We are putting this product out. And when there's a product put out in America, there is an expectation that certain quality standards are met. You can't put out a product called the Super Bowl and then bench one of your best players for basically no explained reason when fully healthy and not tell anybody before kickoff that that was going to be the case. You cannot do yeah. that. No, and I don't think I don't think coaches have an idea what they're in for. But I mean the the idea of of you know misinformation and withholding information, it all changes when the NFL is in the sports betting business. That all changes. Yeah, and I think that people say, well, they'll, well, but people have been betting on games forever. Yeah, but it's different when people bet on the games on their own with a bookie, not legally, versus the NFL saying, come to the stadium and get a parlay in and enjoy the NFL. Yeah, I mean, when you're betting with a bookie and you think the game is fixed, who are you going to take your gripe to? <laughs> right. You know? That, right. That's Who are you the... going to complain to? But if, if, you think, if the NFL is, is, is your bookie and the game is fi- you think the game is fixed, 
you have you have recourses. Yeah, and you know what? I have seen leagues sued for far more trivial things. Had the NFL been in a, official gambling business after you know during last year's Super Bowl, there would be lawsuits based on the Malcolm Butler thing. I have no question about it. And you may say, well, they'd get thrown out. All it takes is one judge and one That's jury right. to say, you know what? We're sympathetic. There was a big jury decision in California against Monsanto over weed killer which has been very controversial because a lot of people use Roundup. And you know, one particular plaintiff was you know, very sympathetic. They put on a compelling case, and bam, $29 million verdict. So the NFL better step correct on that. Let's segue to the Redskins and this Darius Geis injury. I don't know what your take is, Tommy, but my take is not so much. I'm heartbroken for the kid. He seemed like a nice kid who was ready to have a real NFL career. I just find it interesting that Redskin fans are so invested in one player that they think the season is over because of one injury. What is it about our fans that we think this way? Well, listen, I'm not, Zave, I'm not going to criticize Redskins fans for trying to hang on to any semblance of hope. <laughs> I mean, look, we all know the Wizards are are the most uh, tortured fan base in Washington. I mean, that franchise, those fans have been walking in a desert for for almost fifty years. Okay, uh, and but but and Redskins fans it hasn't been quite as long, but the abuse that they've taken particularly over the Dan Snyder era, to me, uh, I under, I sympathize and understand with the overreaction of hope right. and then despair because you invested your hope in, in a rookie running back uh, who people who observed football were telling you that was the seal of the draft. And nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows anything for sure when it comes to draft picks. Right. But, I mean, how many times – in the past 10 years have the nat- well, have the national media, or at least some p- members of the national media mentioned that you should watch the Redskins. It hasn't happened that often. So that, and I was there at, at mini camp and I understand the, the enthusiasm because they do seem to have some very talented players. He was the so shiny. I'm- he was the shiny new toy. We all looked forward to playing with for 16 weeks and the toy was broken the minute we opened it on out of the box it was like christmas has passed for a lot of us because now you look at okay alex smith is new he's not as shiny of a toy because he seems like a replacement level toy for kirk cousins or a little bit better otherwise there was a lot of standing pat with this team and so i don't know where fans are going to latch on to to say well here's the reason to be excited now yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, Alex Smith, when you think about it, who, you know, he may turn out to be great, but uh, he, he's, he's secondhand uh, material. I mean, you know, right. Kansas City was willing to let him leave. Uh, Andy Reid was willing to say goodbye to Alex Smith. They may have regrets about that uh, this year, but still that that was that was the case. So, I mean, with Geis. Uh, he was he was unsullied. There there was nothing there to feel bad about, other than the so-called off the field stuff, and that's all kind of murky at, at, at this point. Uh, my biggest problem with the Redskins remains their head coach Jay Gruden. 
who I think more and more the possibility is he may wind up being North Turner. 2.0. Yeah. Nice guy, great, great offensive great, mind. Great offensive coordinator, right. but cannot lead a full team into important games and have them ready to play. I think I think that that's the big question on Jay Gruden. So, I mean, look, the, the, the last two years, they ended the season playing the New York Giants – in games that were important, even last year, remember they were they were uh, seven and eight going into that Giants game last year. The Giants had won two games, and Jay Gruden and everyone said, "Oh, it's important for us to go eight and eight and not having a losing season. That's a big deal for us." And they wound up losing. Yeah, was... they wound up losing to the Giants for the second year in a row. So Jay Gruden told us the game was important, and he couldn't get his team ready to beat an, a two-win team. Yeah, I, I, I objected to the notion that it was important to finish 8-8. Eight and eight. I thought that was a loser's mentality. It was. It was ridiculous. And then and then to cap it off, if you're going to take that tact, you get you dang better, well better win. And they yes. didn't. They got their, their, their doors blown off. So what is your projection then post-Geis injury for the Redskins? Knowing well, that we'll yeah. revise it a couple times before we actually push off from shore before September 11th. This has been the most difficult uh, – perception prediction time for me for this Redskins team in a long time, because, you know, I think I've seen too much of them in practices and stuff. Uh, <laughs> too much information, I, a lot of bad yeah. information. Well, I, I think, I mean, the information that makes me think, yeah, they, they, they could be good. You know, I, I mean, I really do think that they're going to, if, if, if they stay healthy on their pass rush, they're going to have a significant pass rush. I think that Matt Ioannidis has been very underrated. I think that Jonathan Allen, if he can stay healthy for a few seasons, those two guys are going to give the Redskins a significant uh, pressure presence on the line. Uh, I think Tim Settle, the fifth-round draft pick from Virginia Tech, is going to be a stud. I think Preston Smith, who has shown flashes and then disappears, is in a contract year. We all know how Watch out for contract years. years. Yeah, exactly. so I and and Andrew all right. Give me a Lanier, number. Give me a number, Tommy. Oh gosh, nine wins. Okay. All right. All right. Well, you know, a nine lot of Redskins fans say, uh, you know, nine wins. We'll see. Uh, real quick on the baseball front, did you see where uh, our old pal Jason Worth, who finally retired after kicking around the minors in Seattle, hoping to get a phone call at age thirty-nine, uh, hitting two oh four, finally said, "That's it. I'm done." Then went on Howard Eskin's podcast in Philadelphia and bemoaned the quote nerds who are ruining the game of baseball. Well, he's right. <laughs> he, he's right. I mean, you have. I mean, basically, managers are are robots now. You have you have kids in the front office that are relying on other kids who worked on Wall Street, who went to Yale or Harvard or something like that, telling the manager who to play and when to play them. And, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, taken the, it's taken the soul out of the game. Now, I'll give Mike Rizzo credit for the Washington Nationals. He doesn't do that. Uh, he lets his manager manage, good or bad. Right. He doesn't dictate from up above. But, but he's right in the sense that, uh, you know, here's the Zabe, it's a war between information and knowledge. They're two different things. Right. Information is the data that these guys crunch. The knowledge is what they don't have. The knowledge 
is what you get from the pitching coach who has had hundreds of conversations with pitchers over the years or the uh, first base coach or the, the, the 10 year veteran pitcher or the third baseman. I mean, that's where the knowledge is. And that's a different from information. Information is important, but if you don't recognize the importance of knowledge to go with it, it's, you know, you don't know any more than Bill from Bethesda on line three then. Yeah. You were, you were one of the biggest dusty guys still are, and you were aghast that they would make this move to go away from him. I'd say that Davey Martinez has had a very shaky year, like yes. not a good year. Are you walking around with a Cheshire cat grin and a strut right now or what? Well, it's hard because I like Dave Martinez, you know? Right. That, I, you I don't like want to pile on, but and, and you're and not I, usually a guy that says, I told you so, but I'm allowing you and I told you so if you want one. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think Dusty Baker being like, you know, not being renewed uh, is different from Dave Martinez, uh, whether or not he's a good manager. Uh, I think they're two different. They're two arguments. separate Dusty, things. You're right. Because yeah, you know Dusty what? Dusty Baker yeah. should not have been, should have been brought back for another year. Uh, and I don't know if Dave Martinez is a good manager. He's made a lot of mistakes, but, but, but he's also managed to keep the team close enough in a year where they've had a lot of injuries that they're still within striking distance, Yeah, you know? So, so, and as far as the clubhouse turmoil, that's, that's overblown. I've been in, I've been in, in, in dysfunctional <laughs> clubhouses and this you know, it, right? Yeah. This one isn't one of them. I mean, if the relief pitchers complain, relief pitchers complain on every team. No, relief pitchers are never happy with the way they're used. What was the infamous Boston Red Sox team where they said it was like 26 limos for 26 guys after a game? Oh yeah, that that was that was uh, the, you know the days of of, of uh, uh, Nomar and, and Wade, Manny. Was it and, Wade and Boggs all, at Wade the end? Boggs yeah, and those guys. Yeah, <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. they all went their separate ways. By the way, whenever Davey does something weird or or kind of wrong, I just say, "Well, that's Camel Metrics. You can't understand it. It's Camel Metrics combining <laughs> his combining his Camel stunt and <laughs> Saber Metrics." Uh, the other thing too about you know it is two separate questions. You've got a rookie manager in Gabe Kapler up there in Philly who was absolutely roasted the first two weeks of the season for a couple of huge gaffes. Guess what? Still in first place as we speak in mid-August. Yeah, and Alex Cora in Boston, the Red Sox are having a historic season, another rookie manager. Yeah. But and let's remember, the Nationals didn't know they were – Mike Rizzo didn't know he was going to be shopping for a new manager – until ten days after yeah. they were eliminated from the playoffs, that kind of that kind of that kind of hurts them to be sure. And then on top yeah. on top of that, it would ju- it would be just our luck that you know we swap out a veteran for a rookie when we probably shouldn't have. And then of the rookie we choose, he was like the third best guy, and two other rookies are doing great. And that's just our luck. And plus the the owners, the learners, they're not going to pay anybody. Dave Martinez isn't even making a million dollars a year as a manager. What? I, he's he's the lowest paid manager since Manny Acta on this Nationals team. Under a million for a major a league coach, a uh, major yeah. league manager of the four sports, don't doesn't every hockey coach make at least a million? I think so. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but but that's the owner. That's the, the learners. learners. They don't value managers and and, you know, now they're paying the price for it. Yeah. All right. Cigars and Curveballs, that's Tommy's podcast. It is a great listen. It can be found anywhere podcasts are delivered. You also fill in on 106.7 The Fan here in D.C. You can read Tommy's stuff on 
the Washington Times website and in print when it does land on your doorstep. You still print a paper, right, Tom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And your Twitter handle is? Tom Lavero. T-H-O-M Lavero. All one word. All right, love you. Great to talk to you again, and we'll check in down the road. All right, Dave. Always good to be on with you. We'll end with this today. Hey, if you're going to stare at my armpit, at least buy something. The latest trend in Japan is now armpit advertising. Whoa, whoa, what? What the hell did you just say? You heard me. Commuters in Japan are being paid to put advertising stickers on their armpits as they cling to overhead straps on public transportation. Suffice to say, these are all women, and these are all women who are attractive and thin. Women whose nicely shaved underarms you might want to stare at, or maybe even, oh, you sicko, while you're standing on the Japanese subway. The Wakino ad company in Japan, Waki, by the way, means armpit in Japanese, is paying up to 69 pounds an hour to models willing to hire out their underarms as ad space. The company believes the ads would suit driving instructors, private detectives, and recruitment agencies, but has yet only signed one client, which is the Shishin Bio Clinic. Bio. Bio. Not B-O like body odor, but B-I-Y-O Clinic. What does the Shishin Bio Clinic advertise? Underarm hair removal. Hey, now. So in that sense, it's a perfect match. As long ago as 2013, a company was selling ad space on the backs of women's legs in Japan between the top of their long socks and the hem of their miniskirts. And before in the dot-com boom, people were being paid to put tattoos of ads on their body, on their face, on their neck, prominent places. Tattoos, permanent tattoos. Pokerstars.net, tattooed on my face. Walking around with defunct companies now on their face. I get it in this regard. You want advertising where eyeballs go, naturally. You want, whether it's a billboard on the side of the road or a nice-looking woman's body part that you're like, hey, ooh, look at that right there. I don't know about you, but my teeny just went, oh. Tell you what, I've been staring at this chick's armpit, and it's reminded me to go get some razors for my wife. Bing, bang, boom, winner. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up the Reddit thread about how great this thing is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets. And if you are feeling down, suicidal, or perhaps just feeling like you want to joyride in the plane, do please call a suicide prevention hotline. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Cruising, lay back, cause it's the summertime.